Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of The Commentaries. Greetings and welcome back to the Commentaries series on St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. I'm Father Timothy Reed, and I'm delighted to be with you again. Today is day 12. Last time, we finished our study of the fifth mansions in which we studied the prayer of union, and today we move into the sixth mansions as we look at the first two chapters in this section. Now let's talk a little bit about context of these sixth mansions. St. Teresa's writings on the Sixth Mansions constitute about one-third of the interior castle. So this is by far the largest section of the book, and her experiences in these mansions covered a span of about 14 or 15 years, roughly from ages 43 to 57. Now, as always, Teresa is covertly writing about herself and her own spiritual experiences. And this particular part of her life was an especially painful period, in large part because of her confessors, who failed to understand how God was gracing her. When she wrote her autobiography, The Book of Her Life, she was in these sixth mansions, but she didn't fully understand these experiences at that point. And so her writings on ecstatic experiences were were poorly organized in her autobiography. Now, keep in mind, that during this ecstatic period of Teresa's life, she was still busy founding monasteries around Spain. She was wrestling with theologians in her native Avila, and she came to know and work with St. John of the Cross. It was during that time that she also wrote The Way of Perfection, and most notably, that was the time in which she was experiencing ecstasies and raptures. Now, in beginning this section, St. Teresa begins by discussing the sufferings that occur here, what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night. As she says, greater sufferings accompany the greater favors that occur here. It is here that she says the soul, wounded with love for its spouse, sighs more than ever for solitude, withdrawing as far as the duties of its state permit from all that can interrupt it. So now, we are moving into the phase of spiritual betrothal, of of engagement before marriage, and the soul wants no other spouse. And yet it seems our Lord plays a little coy. As St. Teresa puts it, he disregards the soul's desires for its speedy espousals, wishing that these longings should become still more vehement, and that this good, which far excels all other benefits, should be purchased at some cost to itself. So, what she's telling us here is that we can expect to endure many trials before entering the seventh and final mansions. Teresa speaks at some length about the gossiping and accusations she endured at the hands of those she thought were friends. 
and how confessors wouldn't believe in her experiences. She notes well that praise is also painful at this point because the soul knows only too well that anything praiseworthy in it is only by God's grace. Souls here also receive the severest illnesses and pain from the Lord. But Teresa says in paragraph 14, I should always choose the way of suffering, if only for the sake of imitating our Lord Jesus Christ. Though in fact, it profits us in many other manners. The worst trials, however, are interior. Teresa suffered from confessors who told her that her experiences were demonic. She suffered from being able to truly explain her experiences. She also feared being rejected by God. Now listen to what she says. Many are the trials which assault this soul, causing an internal anguish so painful and so intolerable that I can compare it to nothing save that suffered by the lost in hell. For no comfort can be found in this tempest of trouble. Strange as it sounds, Teresa believes that confessors really are somewhat unhelpful at this point, at least as far as spiritual direction is concerned. She even writes in paragraph 19, If the soul seeks for consolation from its confessor, all the demons appear to help him torment it more. So, all the soul can do is wait upon the mercy of God, who occasionally gives the soul an unexpected respite by which it is filled with consolation and praise for God. The soul here understands well its nothingness. Even though the soul desires not to offend God, it doesn't think it has any love for God, and it doubts the good it has done. However, one's sins are ever before oneself. And this self-knowledge is, is very important for what lies ahead. Prayer, whether vocal or mental, is difficult. The soul feels incapable of it. Truly, this is a most difficult time in the spiritual life. And yet those in the sixth mansions only want God. They want nothing else. St. Teresa says that the best remedy is simply to perform external works of charity and to trust in the mercy of God. While there are many exterior trials faced here, they are less severe than the interior ones. And of the interior trials, Teresa writes in paragraph 26, although some of these latter pains are harder to endure, as appears by their bodily effects, yet they do not deserve the name of crosses, nor have we the right to call them so. Indeed, they are great graces from God, as the soul recognizes amidst its pangs, realizing how far it is from meriting such graces. As St. Teresa moves into the second chapter of the Six Mansions, she mentions that before the soul can be completely united with God in the Seventh Mansions, God makes the soul desire Him all the more vehemently by devices so delicate that the soul itself cannot discern them. She says, These desires are delicate and subtle impulses springing from the inmost depths of the soul. I know of nothing to which they can be compared. 
St. Teresa then speaks in the second paragraph of how God calls the soul and awakens it. She writes, Even when the mind is not recollected or even thinking of God, although no sound is heard, His Majesty arouses it suddenly, as if by a swiftly flashing comet or by a clap of thunder. Yet the soul, thus called by God, hears Him well enough. So well indeed that sometimes, especially at first, it trembles and even cries out, although it feels no pain. So there is this interior awakening of the soul by by which God makes the soul desire him all the more. And yet this is painful. Teresa continues, The soul is conscious of having received a delicious wound but cannot discover how nor who gave it, yet recognizes it as a most precious grace and hopes the hurt will never heal. The soul makes amorous complaints to its bridegroom, even uttering them aloud, nor can it control itself, knowing that though he is present, he will not manifest himself so that it may enjoy him. This causes a pain, keen although sweet, and delicious, from which the soul could not escape, even if it wished. But this it never desires. This favor is far more delightful than the pleasing absorption of the faculties in the prayer of quiet, which is unaccompanied by suffering. She describes this pain as as like that of a dart that pierces the heart. And she's making a reference here to her famous experience of the transverberation. And she tells us that when the Lord draws out the dart, it seems that because of the soul's great love for God, that God is drawing out the heart as well. Now, there is an element here that is truly hard to understand, almost contradictory. That a soul would know beyond any doubt that God is with it, and yet make the soul think that he is calling it. So this is simply the ineffability of the spiritual life. And it's why St. Teresa tells us that she's at pain to describe it. It's why she says in the fifth paragraph, O Almighty God, how profound are thy secrets and how different are spiritual matters from anything that can be seen or heard in this world. I can find nothing to which to liken these graces, insignificant as they are, compared with many others thou dost bestow on souls. This favor acts so strongly upon the spirit that it is consumed by desires, yet knows not what to ask, for it realizes clearly that its God is with it. Another way Teresa describes this experience is to liken God to a burning furnace and a small spark flies into the soul so that the heat of the fire was felt by it. The soul is not consumed, but the fire is so delicious, so delightful, that the soul lingers in the pain. Teresa makes a point to ensure her readers that this experience is not something caused naturally by melancholy or or some trick of the devil. It is clear to those who experience it that it comes from the place in which the Lord dwells within us. Indeed, she believes that there is greater security in this favor 
then in other things. And she says this for three reasons. She says first, the devil cannot join pain with spiritual quiet and delight. Suffering produced by him is never accompanied with peace, but with anxieties and struggles. Number two, this delight comes from a place the devil cannot control. And number three, this favor brings wonderful benefits to the soul, such as the determination to suffer for God and the desires to bear crosses. St. Teresa concludes the second chapter by acknowledging that the Lord has other ways of awakening soul. She writes, for instance, when reciting vocal prayer without seeking to penetrate the sense, a person may be seized with a delightful fervor as if suddenly encompassed with a fragrance powerful enough to diffuse itself through all the senses. I do not assert that there is really any perfume, but use this comparison because it somewhat resembles the manner by which the spouse makes his presence understood, moving the soul to a delicious desire of enjoying him, and thus disposing it to heroic acts, and causing it to render him fervent praise. This favor springs from the same source as the former, but causes no suffering here, nor are the soul's longings to enjoy God painful. This is what is more usually experienced by the soul. Now at this point, we have covered only two of the 11 chapters St. Teresa devotes to the six mansions. So obviously the fact that she devotes so much time to these mansions attests to their importance. But the amount of writing devoted to the six mansions also reflects the fact that Teresa spent nearly 15 years here in her spiritual life, and it reflects as well the complexity of what takes place within the soul in the six mansions. Simple rule to remember about studying these mansions is that the increased sufferings one receives here correspond to an increase in favors. God allows this suffering so that the soul will desire Him all the more and be fully prepared for full union with Him in the seventh mansions. And this is something that we need to think about when suffering enters into our life. That suffering is always a grace. It's always a mercy from God. It's always an invitation to greater union with Him. That completes our podcast for day 12. Thank you so much for listening. And join us again as we continue working our way through the six mansions. Until then, let us pray with St. Teresa. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Amen. May God bless you and may St. Teresa intercede for you. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the interior castle and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.